podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommy's. I'm Jim Boardman and I'm with Jay Reed. And we're coming to you in the gap between games. We've got another gap between games. We had that pathetic one because of the World Cup, and now we've got one that's because of our pathetic football, basically. Liverpool have only got the league left now, not much of that either. Um, so, yeah, because as we record this, it's just before what would have been the Fulham game, but they're in the FA Cup, we're not. So we're having a bit of time off, and it feels like it's forever till our next game. But since we were last on, it's probably felt like forever as well in terms of how many games we've played. And I don't know, we haven't really had time to gloat about it and it feels such a long time ago, ago now, but maybe we, we've got to, we've got to mention, haven't we, surely, Jay, that 7-0 win over the Manx, that, that moment of like feeling almost that maybe everything was going to be okay. And then maybe it wasn't, but just for that, just for that day and that week and those few days, what a feeling. Oh yeah. I, in a season of pretty much flat road, with a lot of potholes. This was, you know, the time you put the windows down and turn the music up and really have a good time. Um, even though it only lasted a few days, I think it it will probably be the moment we all look back on the season and, yeah, well, at least we beat them 7-0. Like, you know, chances are we probably won't finish above them. Um, we're going to end up trophyless. They've already got one in the bag. Um, but yeah, it's, in a way, it's a little bit Everton where, like, you know, it doesn't really matter what happened with our season because we beat our rivals um, you know which kind of gives you an insight into what they live through for you know 28 27 years something like that now um, it was it was a weird game to be at to be honest it was just sort of it become a bit comedy and a bit more like well come on then let's have a bit more let's have another one let's have seven let's have eight yeah. um, and it was you know a stark contrast to what we've seen for the for the rest of the season and you know the the Jekyll and Hyde that we have been, you know, shortly returned a week later against Bournemouth. But for that moment of that weekend, then few days afterwards, it was it was a nice moment to enjoy. And, you know, players who, who've who been under the microscope in, in certain realms, you know, the likes of Nunes, the likes of Gapo, even though he's only been here five minutes, you know, even Mo Salah to an extent. And I, for one, I've, I've questioned Mo Salah this season. You know, when it mattered, they turned up and then, you know, the, the man who would announce that he would no longer be sticking around, it was fitting that he put the cherry on the cake at the end as well. Yeah, and I think, I was thinking about it, it's like, if you look at it now, it's almost, like, we live in a world now where people, like, binge watch stuff on Netflix and other other streaming services, and if you were kind of binge watching this season, and I feel sorry for you, anyone who tried to binge watch this Liverpool season, but if you did, you'd be wondering whether that was like, is that is that a recap of things from, like, two seasons ago, you know, literally, or... Is this a look to the future? And I think 
myself, as bad as it feels now to look back on how stupid we've been since, basically, to put it, you know, to, to sum it up in one word, stupid, is it just, to me, it feels like there is still hope for us. There's still some hope for us out there because we've still got some, some key components in our first 11, at least, that we can sort of come back to next next year and hopefully... You know, if, if, and this is the big if, if we can do the building that we need to kind of add to that, that we could still have something out of next season rather than this being genuinely the start of a decline. I mean, this is what we don't know at the minute. The season when we just last went on decline, you know, we followed that up with an amazing season and you just hope that this, this is something we can do this season. I think, you know, we shot ourselves in the foot in terms of kind of getting top four for next season and things, but we've got nothing else to play for this season now. It's just a league. We're going to get probably loads of time off in between games. And I won't be surprised if we have more three o'clock Saturday games because I doubt we'll get picked for TV of any that's left that's not being picked. So, you know, it, it feels like there's a bit more chance of a bit of a routine, but I must say, like, I mean, obviously it's sad that Bobby's going, but I would rather, I think we've said this before about Liverpool letting players go and do the declining somewhere else. I mean, Bobby's kind of made that decision himself. He's definitely had his peak. You know, I think that's, that anyone would agree with that. He's definitely had his peak. But we know now he's not going to be around next season. We know that we need someone like him that can come in and, and help out when needed and put icings, you know, putting the cherry on the icing on the top of the cake if needed. We need to go and find someone who can do that. But I think it was just good to see that that partnership and that sort of telepathy almost with with the front three who were actually getting some good service, which, again, you know, that front three, they can't do it all themselves. But, you know, if they're given the service they need, they can do a hell of a lot with it. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, yeah, it's... I think we said on the last pod that we maybe done, like, he was sort of, you know, referring to Spring of the Daffodils and, you know, there were shoots of, of promise there, but not all of them have flowered. And on that one day, the sun was shining and there was a lot of flowers out. And then since then, as the weather in Britain has been, even though I weren't here for it because I was away, um, you know, the frost came and the snow came and all of a sudden, in the last week, we've had about four or five days of just consistent rain and all of a sudden, you know, we think, well, actually, we're not up the depths of winter yet. This is, that was a bit of a false dawn and we've had more than enough of them. And yeah, the the, the midfield that day worked Um but we've seen that midfield before, you know, the games not work. And we've seen, you know, moments in games where sometimes you think, well, why can't we just put this together on a consistent basis? You know, the, the front three on that day all clicked. Two of them, three of them all got two goals. And then obviously Bobby rounded it off. And you just think, like, is it, is it, a, is it sort of that 
weird feeling where we went through several years ago where the big games were were the ones we got up for and yeah. the littler games we always seem to struggle and then for a few years under Klopp it, it kind of flipped where you know that that mini league as such of the top four or top six we sort of just drifted through it with you know we were second or third or whatever we got a couple of wins a couple of draws a couple of defeats but for the rest of the league we just battered them and that was you know the key to our success in in when winning the title, um, and also in seasons when we we've ran, ran City really close and racked up ninety five plus points, which must be noted. I don't think this season will be won with ninety five plus points. I think it'll be sub ninety, and that sort of then puts into context, you know, the efforts that we have done in recent times. And you know, this league is in, is is really good in terms of you know you see teams beating other teams that you've not normally seen, but the actual top end quality of it for what we've had in four or five years ago, I think it's a little bit away from that. And it sort of leaves a little bit of a, a nagging doubt in your mind of like, you know, in years when we've blown everyone away and at 95 plus points, we would have walked the league this year. Like oh, we'd yeah. have been ahead of Arsenal, way, way ahead of Arsenal by now. You know, it, it, it's kind of something that, you know, a little bit, the bitter taste in your mouth. That, why, why couldn't we just do it this year? But yeah, it it's it's problems that we all know exist. And, and I, you know, as you as you mentioned, for for one moment the midfield click, but by no means does one swallow make a summer. And um, we all know the the key components of this team that need addressing. But with Bobby going, will we bring someone in? I actually don't think we will because I think. The way the current um, model of recruitment works, I don't think we're going to have enough cash to go around. No, and I think if if Diaz is going to come back and be the player he was, which is always a question mark when a player's been out this long, you just don't know. Um, if Jota gets back to being the player he was, and then if we've got that front three that helped to demolish the Manx, then maybe we've got five up front, and maybe that's not so much of a worry anymore, maybe. Um, I don't know what kind of quality we've got coming through from the youth, but that that takes me straight on to actually, might as well get on to this now. I think um, we can come back to the Bournemouth game, maybe, but after the Bournemouth game, which was in, which was just such a disappointment after what we'd seen the week before, um, the game against Madrid, I don't know about you, I wasn't, I mean, BT, I think, was trying to hype it up as like, they were going on about Istanbul and the Barcelona game and the Olympiacos match and all these other times when we've come back from behind in Europe and you know I just don't feel this side in the mood it's in at the moment is is one of those sides it's not got that that thing that, you know that that hidden factor X whatever it is that you need to be a uh, to make a difference and to actually find something and recover that way there's just doesn't seem to have that fight anymore and so I, I didn't have high hopes but I think. I wanted us to kind of go into the game and come away with some pride and maybe maybe a point, uh, well, not a point because it's not a table anymore, but you get what I mean, get at least a draw, some kind of a result from it. Maybe you thought we could do that. And the biggest obstacle to us doing that was before the match, more injuries and, yeah, one play we now, we now know it's more of an injury. But, I mean, your tweet just summed it up for me, to be quite honest, what you said before the game. Um, the midfield was just like... I don't know. It's like something out of a second-hand shot. It, it, there's 
you know, patching things together with a bit of duct tape and, you know, a little bit of rope or something and hoping that it, it sticks or a few cable ties. But we are, we're on the cheap salad tape here. We're literally putting kitchen roll on a, on a leaking tap. It's not really working. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, the, the midfield options, I, I, I summed it up with. One could barely move. I'm thinking, no, that's Fabinho. One is a granddad, obviously Milner. One is a kid, which is Harvey. One never lived up to the hype, which is Curtis Jones, who never even graced the field on uh, Wednesday night. And one who did grace the field is Ox, who, you know, is literally, he's fell off a cliff since yeah. his knees went. Um, and yeah, we've we've lost Stefan Bicesic or Bicesic, however you want to pronounce his name these days, to, I think it's an adductor injury. Um, but he travelled to Madrid, which was, you know, but before the game, I seen he was out with Henderson. Henderson, I think, has got a, a severe case of the sniffles. Um, and Bicesic travelled. So I thought, well, maybe, you know, there's a glimmer there that yeah, it's yeah. not it's not so bad. Um, but then, you know, a day a day after the the defeat and the exit from the Champions League, then he, he come out and basically confirmed the season's over. And, you know, the, there's, there's, there's tweets, I think it was Cyber Unleashed, but out there, you know, he, he played... A series of games in a row, I think it was 11 possibly. Um, and Thiago was the same, he played 11 games in a row, and all of a sudden they broke down. Like, he's an 18 year old lad, I think yeah. we've said it before. You can't be putting all this pressure on his young shoulders. And he's got a frame that needs filling out. He needs, you know, as we'd say in the pool, he needs a good pan of scouts down him. Because he, he's, he's still a boy in terms of his, his actual frame. He's, he's you know, He's well ahead of his years mentally and, and technically, but it's no wonder like he's he's probably broke down in, in, in playing men's football as a young kid in terms of his physique. It was probably always gonna happen and it's a sad state of affairs that we had to we had to push him in that direction that we needed something because he was performing for us. But yeah, another one bites the dust and I think as we, we all are in this glum weather, we can't really wait for the summer because it'll be the end of the season and maybe then It'll signal times of change. Yeah, I mean, the sun's been shining through this hole in the blinds. That why did he invent blinds with holes? And every day at this time, I get <laughs> blinded by them by the sun. I say every day. We don't get the sun that often, do we? Four times a year, I get blinded by the sun. It's fifteen degrees or something today. I mean, it's like summer weather, which is just as well. We've got no footy to sit in front of the TV and watch this weekend or whatever. Um, I said after the, I think it must have been. After the Palace game, I'm not sure now. Um, may not have been then, maybe later actually. No, Bournemouth game it would have been. That whatever game it was, I just remember looking at Stefan Bashetic and thinking, he's starting to look his age here. He's looking a little bit like, whoa. Um, you know, it's the first time I'd looked at him and thought, he's a teenager, if that makes sense, because he's not played like one this season, but he's still got a teenager's body and, you know, Cyber Undish will know as well, you know, he's, he's well worth listening to on these things. You know, this is not a good thing to do to a teenage kid. You know, they need to get into it. And the the comparison that I can think of more than anything is Steven Gerrard had loads of problems early on in his career, probably through overplaying um, because muscles that were still being developed and so on, he was still growing. Um, you know, this thing's getting out of sync. And then, of course, Michael Owen, um, you know, he might annoy us to death now as a pundit, but as a player at the time, he was phenomenal. He was definitely world-class. Um, he was still classy as far as we were concerned because he'd not had his um, stint with the Manx or whatever. But again, 
maybe getting overplayed, getting overused. At a time when rotation wasn't really a thing either, to be fair to the club at the time. But that just, you know, it, it potentially meant he was never quite the player he could have been because of how hard he was pushed then. And I know, I know things, things are tough at the moment, but surely we've got more about us than to do this to teenagers. And, um, I mean, let's name names. Why is Archer not getting risked? Is he really that bad? Is he really that injured? Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. I, I don't even know. I, 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 at times, I didn't even know if it was real, if he existed. <laughs> um, because, you know, other than, you know, pictures of mirages of him on Twitter in terms of he was at training one day, um, you know, and I think he, he does some, one of them LFC video promo things for one of the sponsors or whatever. I didn't even know he existed. And his name was on the bench for the Bournemouth game. Yeah. But but yeah, he's not registered for the Champions League, therefore he wasn't available for that. I think we had him in the squad and then we removed him. Um, that's why he couldn't play in the Madrid game. But, you know, if we want to reference the Bournemouth game, it was, it was pretty dour. But is he that bad? Is he just, you know, the... As as a as a raffle ticket winner that you know happens to get paid thousands of pounds each week and turns up and might play you know four to five minutes somewhere here and there, but he he, he must be offering something surely that's yeah. different to what we've got. Because if it's not, then why did we even sign him? Like yeah, did the idea surely of signing him would have been to to give you something different? Like if we look at our midfield options, you can all say they've got a quality or two that they could offer. You know, like uh, let's go through them. You know, the likes of of Keita and Ox are the only ones you'd probably say you can progress with the ball at the feast. Maybe Curtis Jones, but he's a lot more steady in terms of his ball progression and, and the way he moves. But what do, what does Arthur do or Artor or whatever you want to call him? Because at the moment, you know, he might as well be. Is it? Is, is there an Arthur in Holyfield's nurses? I don't know. He sort of just sits around with the granddad. You're too old for it, probably, but there was an Arthur in on the buses. He was always getting it in the neck, you know, Arthur! All the time. So <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the voice I have when I hear his name. <laughs> um, yeah, only the older listeners will have any clue what I'm on about. Um, but yeah, it, it was the defender. We signed the defender when we were having that injury crisis a couple of seasons back. We got him on loan and I think he played maybe a couple of games if that. Um uh, the Turkish lad. Yeah. And Slash. I think we had an option. Did we, yeah, and we had an option probably to to keep him. 
from what I can vaguely remember of it. But the, the thing is, we bought him because we're having an injury crisis. And in the end, as the injury crisis started to, to fade away, you know, he wasn't, he was, he wasn't up to speed in time for the injury crisis to, to, to still be there, if you get what I mean. And I think yeah. with, with Archer, I mean, he was injured himself, Arthur. He was injured himself, you know, he was out of it, whatever, but he's back on the bench. He's back in the squad. He's in and around the starting lineup, if not actually in the starting lineup. He's surely we've got to be saying, well, let's use him because why did we go out and pay money for him? Because even though he's on a loan, he's not free. You know, it's not like a loan from the library where you get a free book. It's like a loan of a, you know, when you go and get a hire car and you pay a fortune, it's, it will not be cheap. He, he was not cheap. We'll be paying wages for him. And so far, you know, like you say, it's, it's a mystery. Does he really exist? I don't know. And it just, it feels like, an, you know, everyone said it at the time that it was a bit of a panic buy, even though it wasn't only a loan, it was still a panic buy. And, you know, that, that's frightening that, that, that is, is that all we had up our sleeve in the summer? And have we got any better for next summer? And that's what's frightening me. If he was a panic buy, maybe they misread it when they said Arthur. It must have meant Arthur player. Yeah. And that's all we were getting because he was injured. Um, and in fact, we've actually got no player <laughs> um, from what we've actually seen him in the Liverpool shape. But it, it is a bit concerning. I think I read a story today. I think it must be from... David Lynch, if I, if I quote correctly, um, basically saying our recruitment policy um, has changed in recent times. So, you know, the, the big hole is midfield. We all know that the big name on everyone's lips is Jude Bellingham and he may or may not end up in a red shirt. We will, you know, live to see that. There were stories today that it's Jude Bellingham, but he will he will swallow up all the money. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, then, you know, you've you've got to be, You've got to be cutting your cloth accordingly and say, right, well, if it's if it's Jude Bellingham and that's it, well, we need more than Jude Bellingham. So therefore, you'd have to just put that one on the shelf and just say it was a nice shiny toy, but we couldn't afford it. So let's buy a couple of other cheaper plastic ones that'll actually just see us through. Um, because we need at least three, possibly four or more in that midfield, given that we're losing a few and a few are pretty much done for these days. Yeah. And then the story I've seen today was, you know, the short list as it would be is extensive from the field. Um, whereas in, in recent years it was, you know, basically one of two. Um and we we picked which one we wanted or the the transfer gurus, the statisticians, you know, the the people who knew what they were talking about, you know, Michael Edwards and Cole basically convinced Klopp that certain players were the right ones rather than you know, orders that might have been identified, you know, the ones that spring to mind uh, was a Julian Brandt um, and we got uh, Sadio Mane and it was, or was it Julian Brandt and Mo Salah, something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, they were, they were, they were selling clock on the fact that this player would statistically be a lot better suited to us in, in every which way. Um, but the midfield, we've got a long list. So, does that mean they know that we need three or four players and the long list basically means we've got let's just, let's just pick a number out here 15 players on this long list and that then means you know we, we, we are targeting three or four because if so then that, that's a good sign mm. that they are looking around in the market and they are looking at various options from various countries you know various talents um, rather than you know nailing your colours to the mast and just saying it's him and 
if we miss out, we miss out. Like much like last summer with, with Chua Many, maybe it was a case that they realised we thought we had him. However, he rocked up at Real Madrid, and you know, even on the other night, he, he only got on the pitch off the bench. But that just shows a sign of the quality that they've got. And because we missed out, we then panicked. And I don't believe for one minute there was not a midfielder available to us. For some reason, we ended up with with half a player and. Yeah, we've we basically spent half a bucket of wages on them and not actually had any return. No, no, it's been very half-hearted. Uh, that was <laughs> bad. But yeah, according to um, it's like it's not silly season yet, but it's going to kick off because there's always a void in the season. And Jose Enrique, um, Madrid nowadays apparently still you know still loves the club. Um, on a on a live stream, there's a, there's a quote and he said, "This player is ours, amigo." And he's, re- oh, sorry, someone else has said that to him. And he's replied, yeah. And the player is Ryan, Ryan Gravenberch. So according to Enrique, we've already got him. And I'm thinking, interesting. yeah, thinking, how does he know the ins and outs of our transfer dealings? I didn't um, read that, to in- be fair. It was something to do with, he used to, and um, um, I said Amigo then, Enrique used to be under the ownership of Mino Raiola's agency. Right. And, Gravenberch or Gravenberg, however you want to, you know, be Dutch or not Dutch about it, um, <laughs> is a Raiola agency player since right. Mino's past. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we were we were linked to him last year. I do you remember? I think he went on a free from Ajax to Bayern Munich. I could be wrong on that. But... Um, according to this article, which I'm not saying is true, um, he was 25 million euros, about 22 million quid. So maybe he was a year left, and he was a good good price because I think he's only young um, and was quite highly rated in, in the Ajax setup. So maybe it was, you know, a year left on a deal and they've sort of nabbed in and got him at a good price. But I don't I do not do much German football. I saw us keep an eye on Dortmund um, and their results. But it, from what I've seen, he's not really broke into the Bayern Munich squad. I think they've sort of stuck with Kimmich and Goretzka in midfield and then they did have Sabitzer who has now ended up at United so clearly the the midfielders that they've got they sort of are quite happy with it they just let Sabitzer go and then if Gavin Birch is available to go then you know you'd imagine that he's not for Julian Nagelsmann and maybe there's another gem midfielder who they're just going to cherry pick off someone else who's had a good year because that's how the Bundesliga tends to work but if he is our player and you know we will get behind him if he is. He, he's he's an imposing figure. I think he's six three, six four, and you know that's something that we we don't currently really have in midfield. Someone who's tall and potentially physical. Um, yeah, we we will see. But it is a bit silly season. It was a bit out the blue where he's come from that one. So yeah, maybe maybe he's let a massive cat out the bag, or maybe he's just you know. Channeling us in Indicalia and trying to just be a bit of an ITK. <laughs> Maybe mm. he's trying to make the deal happen. You know, like you start all this, you know, start a bit of uncertainty, you get the player unsettled, you know. Um, my big worry, though, at the minute is, I don't think it's a worry yet. I don't think it's a worry yet, but I can see people using it. So, you know, you're you're an agent, you've got a player, um, Liverpool come knocking on the door, but then there's other clubs that are going to be coming knocking on the door with different levels of interest. There's also going to be you know, people pretending to be interested just to to see what's happening and stuff. But um, we've we've not got a like 
I, I still think we've got enough about us as a club and the way we've been these last few years that any player is going to be very interested in joining us. I mean, whether they come or not is another matter, but they're going to at least be interested. They're going to want to see what we've got to say because they've seen what we can do. Maybe they want to know what, what the plans are for, for rebuilding and stuff. But um, in a way, if we don't get this summer right, it's going to be harder to say to someone, come to Liverpool, don't go to, just looking at this year's league table, don't go to Arsenal, don't go to City. Don't even go to the Manx, the other Manx. Um, because players want to play in the Champions League. Players want to be fighting for league titles. Players want days out at Wembley, believe it or not. Even though we kind of play down that competition, any footballer will love the idea of being at Wembley, playing in the final and lifting a trophy at the end of it. Um, this is what they want. And the last few years, we, that's what we've been able to say to any player. But now, it's harder to say it. And... You know, again, I think this summer just becomes even more vital for for, for reasons like that as well. It's uh, it's also like you know the Manks have had a, a shit time a bit. Let's be honest. In the last what nine ten years so since Fergie decided, you know, this isn't for me anymore, and we are going down the pants. So I'm going to jump ship and let <laughs> someone else deal with it. Um, it, it is. It's been, you know a time that we've all enjoyed laughing at United. However, they've still attracted players. Okay, they've they've spent big money. There's nothing wrong in terms of how United do their business. They, they are not shy in spending money as much as, you know, the Green and Gold Brigade come out with the scarves when yeah. a couple of things go against them. Um, You know, you can't really moan at the fact that they've always invested in the manager. They've always backed them. They've always spent money. Um, and that's always been a, a law that United have always had because of the name and the status. And, you know, we're, we're probably looking at a recruiting a generation of players now. We've seen, you know, what we've done under Jürgen Klopp. If you're looking at, you know, let's just say again, Jude Bellingham is, what, 19 years of age. So he's grown up with the Klopp era. He's seen what Liverpool have become under Jürgen Klopp. And if you are, even in your early twenties, you know, as a as a teenager, you've probably seen what we've done, and knowing that Jurgen Klopp is signed on for another three or four years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Then why wouldn't you, you know, have a, have a, at least a conversation? You'd at least look and and see, right, well, what what have you got to offer? Um, and you know, if you're then Jurgen Klopp, you can say, well, have a look around what we've got here. Like, let's just take a quick glance through the squad. We've got the best keeper in the world. We've got. You know, arguably on the day, the best centre half, the best left back, the best right back, definitely in the league. You know, the, arguably across Europe. Yeah. Um, the front line. You know, we've we've recruited in that, and we've got younger, fresher lads. So, you know, they're going to be there for a sustained period of time. Then, why wouldn't you then, if you're a young midfielder, early twenties, want to think well? You know, I've got young forwards ahead of me. I've got a couple of experienced lads at the back. I've got a couple of younger lads in. Trent and Ibu Kanata, you were, you know, coming into the mid early mid twenties, who have got a lot of time and experience on their side already. Why would you not? Why would you not join us? You know, like we we can certainly attract if we if we put the offers out there. So yeah. I wouldn't be too concerned in that department. It's just if we are willing to, you know, put our hands deep in the pocket and and afford these players because, as we know, they don't come cheap these days. No, they don't come cheap. They don't come. They, they they don't come cheap in transfer fees. They don't come cheap in wages. And 
Um, I mean, I think we do the right thing with wages. We don't, we don't kind of, we don't, I don't think we overpay. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's still stupid money that, that players are getting paid. It's money that, you know, it doesn't sound real to us, that money. When, when you hear what the kind of money they'll get over a five year contract, it's, it's just crazy money. But, um, maybe just take a minute to stop moaning about the football. Um, how do we get the money to pay for these players then? So we've got, Good sponsorship deals, like we got rid of um the last shirt sponsor that we'd had for years in two different under two different names when we brought Nike in. That was supposed to bring us loads more money. We've got um a bigger stadium that's getting even bigger. We've got loads of TV money comes in. Obviously, maybe not as much if you don't get in the Champions League, but certainly at least for now, we've got plenty of TV money coming in. And um, we sell so many different bits of merchandise. I mean, we've got three kits. Two of which I like, I would say. The other one I really don't. Um, not bought any, but plenty of people do. There's so much merch in the shop and online. So we, we make money from all kinds of places. Um, but obviously the way that you used to make money as a football club was people coming through the door and paying through the turnstiles, buying the season tickets, buying tickets in advance, paying on the day, whatever. That's where the money came from. That's why clubs were always, uh, maybe able to go and spend big money in the summer because they'd have had all the season ticket money coming in. But obviously that's not the, the main source of income now. But um Liverpool are putting the prices up, I believe, by, well, about a quid a ticket, depending on where you are, but it's supposedly 2%. And I've not checked what inflation is at the minute, but it's something like 10% in this country. Um People like nurses have finally been offered some kind of potential payoff, which is, I think, about 5%, but it might not even be that good. That's probably the government's spin on it. But, um, you know, everyone's struggling for money, and now the football club are saying um, stick 2% on top of ticket prices. Um, feels like bad timing in some ways, because you're like, God, not another thing going up in price. But in the grand scheme of things, is it that bad? Is it that bad to put the prices up by that much? And, you know... Can we complain about not spending money if we're going to complain about how much things cost? For me, no. Um, I don't think it's an issue. I think, you know, the average ticket per game is going up by a pound. Um, the most expensive ticket at Anfield currently is the main stand lower, roughly, you know, centre circle-ish, around, you know, the around the, the bench area as such. Um, and, yeah, a pound on a fifty-nine pound ticket to sixty. But if you've got the luxury to be able to spend fifty-nine pound on a ticket this this current season, then you know I don't think you you can really complain by putting it up a pound. If you're a season ticket holder, it goes up by seventeen pound a year. Um, we've had a season ticket freeze for eight years, I think it is. You know. You can't really moan, I don't think, in terms of what we've had. And I understand that the argument, well, you know, everything else is going up and, you know, this is our, this is our release from life. We always say it like that, that 90 minutes or a couple of hours on a Saturday afternoon is what sort of, you know, gets you away from the reality and you can go and, you know, just enjoy yourself for that time. But it's a privilege to be able to go to the game. And I always, I've always said that I am, I'm in a privileged position where I can afford to go and a privileged position where I can get access to tickets on a regular basis. Um, I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. 
Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. I don't think, you know, in, in terms of what we've had for value for money over recent times, then, okay, this season might not be so much, but a pound extra the game, um, doesn't feel so bad. I mean, what can you get for a pound? These days, you can't even get a pint of milk or a loaf of bread, um, you know, with the rising costs and, you know, food and such. You know, you wouldn't get, you know, a, not even a quarter of a bloody pint of lager these days and, and what that costs. So well, That's that's, a, that's one of the things, actually, that I always have this. It's kind of become a benchmark for me because I don't know why these figures stick in my head. But You're going to say I, a £10 pint, aren't you? Well, no, I remember going, going to Cop, when he, so it was standing Cop back then, and buying a pint in the Albert and going in the cop paying on the gate, I'm I'm pretty sure because these figures are stuck in my head that it was ninety p for the, for a pint. It was not very good lager to be honest. Back in those days, there wasn't a lot of choice. Ninety p for the pint and two pounds seventy to get in. So it was like it cost me three pints to get in. So at today's prices, it would be twenty quid a pint. You know what I mean? To sort of, I mean, it's not not comparing like we'd like because that was standing in the cop rather than sitting in the luxury of the main stand. But even so, um, I think the issue with ticket prices isn't putting them up by 2% now. They just kept going up and up and up. At some point in the time between, you know, the cot being a standing uh, area and the cot being a seated area, they just started to go up in price stupidly. And we just sort of, we just sort of grumbled, but just got on with it. And, you know, I think all the football clubs knew this. They knew that we'd pay whatever we could to go the game. And I think rather than really, I personally, I think, you know, you've got, you've got to say the clubs will only put them up by 2% when everything else is going up by way more than that. Um, train tickets, for example, I'm pretty sure they've gone up by about five or 6%. And that's supposed to be a good deal. So I think, the, you know, that's not the issue. I think the issue is that, you know, it's too expensive to go the game to start with. It is a privilege to go. But if they make them any cheaper, it's not going to make it open to more people, is it? Because the ground can only be so big. I mean, can you imagine how big Anfield would be if it was big enough to hold everyone who wanted to go? Oh, God. You, like, <laughs> you see these mad images, don't you, online of like, uh, you know, super stadiums that will hold a million people where, like, you know, it's like tier upon tier upon tier upon tier. And that would be the demand for Liverpool. Like, sadly, where Anfield is, there's not much more they can do in terms of making it much bigger. Like, for all that FSG get knocked and, you know, people will always sleep them, people will always back them. I think we're we're pretty level in the opinion of, like, you know, they've done some good, they've done some bad. Um, but in terms of what they've done for renovation of Anfield as a as a stadium, um, 
you can't really ask for much more. Like I go, as I say, I go on a you know a regular basis every home game to Anfield, and every time we go, we walk up. If anyone knows the, the logistics of the area, up like the Arcos Road, which basically the first thing you see at current time is you know the top of the main stand. But now, as as you get into Anfield, you're seeing the Anfield Road and the cranes, obviously, and Every time you go to the ground, there's more and more developments, and we always have said, like, "Wow, this is this is some stand. It's going to be huge." Like in terms of what Anfield Road currently is, if you've had the unfortunate pleasure of sitting in the lower Annie Road on Road 24 to oh. 28 backwards, you're basically half stood up, hunched over, trying to see basically through a letterbox between the heads above you and the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, that comes on a on a big slant down, but thankfully that's coming down. But a roof that leaks sometimes, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> the greatest. Um, I remember the times when Anfield Road was getting renovated, actually, and it was, you know, it was single tier, and then they put that that second tier on top. But um, they're certainly improving in all they can in in, in the availability of of seats in the ground. I think it's going to be sixty one thousand. It's seven thousand extra in this expansion for the Anfield Road and 3,000 of that is going to general admission sales. So, you know, there's 3,000 tickets available for for fans on a game-by-game basis. I think they're releasing some, maybe a couple of thousand are coming off the season ticket list. And, you know, there'll obviously be people probably with season tickets offered the opportunity to change the seats should they want to, which then, you know, might free up other seats here and there. That's just how it sort of works. But, um, it doesn't sound like a lot, three thousand, but you know the demand for Anfield is crazy. If if anyone tries to get tickets, doesn't matter where you're from, whether you're a local or whether you're from somewhere else in the world, it's hard. Um, and we would sell Anfield ten, fifteen times over, game by game, if you actually give people the opportunity to say, "Do you want to go and watch the pool?" Because it, it's that bigger demand. Um, but you you can't really knock FSG in that regard of what they've done. I think they've they've done it very well in terms of also being able to keep the ground open. Like I've been and sat in the Anfield Road this season, and the access to get into the ground is is pretty good in terms of the fact that they've got a massive structure going on around them and building it. Hmm. It's it, it's really impressive at the fact that they've done that, um, and I think hopefully at the end of this season. Uh, they take the roof off, and then I would imagine we'll probably have a similar setup to what we did when the main stand opened. Where obviously, as things know in England or Britain, never runs on time. So the building probably will be a few weeks late, and we'll probably request to play our first three or four games, possibly away from home, in terms of maybe then getting the ground open and. And having that stand fully functional, but who knows? Maybe they they've got another way around it where they can just open the bottom tier, which is currently you know the current Anfield Road stand, and allow access to that while they they finish the bits and bobs around it. But it's an impressive structure. Um, if they could do the Kenny Daglish in the cop end, I'm sure they would. But just logistically and where the stadium is, I just don't think it's possible without some major engineering. And I think we've also we need a transport link and that is a whole different podcast in itself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the sad parts really is that the cop, which is like, if, if people talk about Anfield, like within 
within a few sort of sentences at the most, the cop, as Adam mentioned, because that's, you know, that's, that, that's, that's almost the stage itself. Like, although the pitch is clearly the stage, the, the cop end the, and the, the fans and the noise and, and the history and the traditions and everything of that stand, um, that's, that's what's made Liverpool Anfield itself famous in my view anyway. I mean, as much as the football, that 12th man really, although it's all round the ground and there's so much more noise from around the ground than the, there was at times in, in days gone by maybe, but, um, that, that 12th man really, the voice of the 12th man, if anything, is from the cop. But if you do, um, if you, if you don't get the chance to go the game, but maybe you, you're going to get the chance soon or you're going to get, maybe you just always go in at one end of the ground or something. I've, I've always sort of walked down and see, kind of look from the side. Um, I mean, I can remember doing it with the main stand. The main stand used to look pretty big. And then they started to build a new one over the top of the old one. <laughs> it was this little tiny stand underneath this massive thing underneath because the scale of it is unbelievable because every sort of few thousand seats you add on top, it's such a height that you're adding on top, isn't it, to get them in there for the pitch and everything of, you know, the way that the, the, the slope works so that everyone can see. Um, in the top of the main stand now, you really do sort of get an amazing view of something that's very far away. So that idea of how big the stadium would need to be for everyone to get in, I mean, to be honest with you, you probably couldn't get much taller before it gets to a point where no one could really make out who was who. They'd just see a load of ants running around on a little green postage stamp size thing. It is. It's crazy. I think it's 92 rows to the very back of the main stand. And I've sat up there a couple of times with a tissue because sometimes you get a nosebleed. Yeah. Um, but it does it does go back a fair way. Um, and the players do look absolutely tiny <laughs> on the pitch. <laughs> For anyone who goes to Bernabeu, inside the Bernabeu, the new camp, yeah, probably even the Bernabeu as well now because that's quite a substantial size. But if you're the new camp, surely you can't make house unless you go and get a pair of theatre binoculars and actually see what's going on on the pitch because you're that far away but um and then maybe that's good though you know maybe that if we had a ground that big you know the people who like really really slate players we could put them right at the top because then they wouldn't hear what they're being called would they although no, this no. year maybe they need to hear it yeah um i think that that's a that's a that's another thing isn't it like you know maybe jamie Carragher and his his whiny voice some people might prefer to see that sat on row 92 of the main stand rather than in the media box, given his um, colourful opinions, I think you could say, on Trent Alexander-Arnold at the moment. Because I, I think if, if you're a level-headed Liverpool fan, which you know, I think we will consider both of ourselves, are we? We can honestly say that Trent has had a season of ups and downs, pretty much like the whole team. He's had good moments, he's had bad moments. Um, he's been by no means our best player of the season, but he's been by probably by no means our worst player of the season. I don't think. I think there's been other players who've been much more substandard than him. Um, but he just seems an absolute beacon for attention. Um, you know, he's he made headlines yesterday because he didn't make the England squad. Now we all know our opinions on England, but you know, there's players in that England squad who aren't even playing for their clubs who are being picked and. Trent Alexander-Arnold plays on a weekly basis. I think he brings and offers a lot more than other players um, in that squad. But who am I to question the man who's the, the top of English football? You know, he, he wears a waistcoat better than I do. Um, 
But I, I, and he's, I welcome, think, he's welcome to his waistcoat, in all honesty. Yeah, I just don't. <laughs> I just don't see the the whole need for attention on him. I think, as we've always said, it's because it's Liverpool. It'll make headlines, you know. Like Adam Wan-Bissaka, you know, a lot, a lot of money was spent on him. He can't even get in the Man United team, but he's labelled as a better right back than than Trent Alexander-Arnold. If he was that good, why is he not starting for United on a weekly basis? You know that 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 says it all. Reese James, you know, is a good player, but I've seen a couple of Chelsea games this season, and he's made just as glaring errors, if not as bad or worse than what Trent's made in a couple of games. You know, it, yeah. and and he's labelled as you know the the future of English football. Kyle Walker has has a lot of good in this game, but also has a lot of bad in this game as well. But because they're not at Liverpool, they're not you know worthy of the media spotlight. But you know, what, though, if um, just just imagine a scenario which I'm I'm sure won't happen, but all of a sudden, story in the press, Trent's not been playing well because he's had a major bust up with Klopp, and now he's interested in a move to insert name of any Premier League club, all of their fans would be like wetting themselves at the thought that Trent's going to come in, even the ones who've got the right backs that are keeping Trent out of the England squad, supposedly, because Gareth Southgate doesn't manage a professional club, as in, you know, a Premier League club. He manages a group of people representing the country where it's, it's a totally different way of playing. He doesn't, I mean... I'm not an England fan, as anyone who listens to this knows. We're not, you know, we're not big England fans um, at all. So we're not really bothered. But if I was an England fan, I'd hate to watch it because it's not, it's not the most interesting football to watch. It's not. There's nothing great about it in my view. It's just such an irritating experience watching England. And in a lot of ways, it's good that Trent's missing out because what's the point of taking him if you're not going to use him? What's the point of, of interfering with his? You know, he's training back with his club. You know, give him, give him some time off because you're not going to use him. You're just wasting his time and our time and everybody's time. Um, and I think as far as pundits are concerned, though, it is the easy one just to say, uh, yeah, you know, let's just, let's just pick on Trent. And I mean, to be, to be fair to Carragher, I remember once he was, um, interviewed about England and, you know, he'd apparently said, there's definitely a quote from him, which was, ah, fuck it. It's only England. Because um, he was missing out or something, you know, he just wasn't wasn't that bothered. And I know he's gone back since and stuff, and he's argued about it about going back playing for England. But I don't think he was that bothered. And also, I mean, to be fair to him and to other pundits, I think if you're a player coming to the end of your career and you're thinking, "What the hell am I going to do next?" I really want to. You're bound to think, "I want to stay in the game." And a lot of players will try the hand at coaching. They'll go off and do the coaching badges and you know, hope one day to maybe manage the team they were famous with or, you know, maybe manage their own country, whatever. You know, it's a new dream that you have. As, as a kid, you're dreaming of playing. I suppose as a player coming to the end of your career, you're dreaming of being a manager somewhere. But the the easy job, if you're getting the offer for it, is to be a pundit because you can come out with all this stuff about how bad a player is, how wrong this formation is, how stupid that tactic is. But all you're going to get is a bit of stick in social media about it. You can, you can say what you want because you don't really live by your words. And if I was, you know, if I was advising someone coming to the end of the career and they were saying, I don't know what to do. Should I sort of go into the TV world or should I go into coaching? I'd say, if the money's there for the TV world, just do that because your life will be so much easier than if you go into the coaching world. And so, you know, to, to be fair to anyone who's a pundit, I don't blame them for doing the job. But I also think, you know, we should sort of remember that if the pundits, they've kind of not had to go and test themselves usually 
as a manager, as a coach, to try and get these players to get the best out of them. They've played, but they've not coached, which takes me on to a pundit who has coached. And he's been really bad at it. But we've got to laugh about Gary Neville and his reaction after that man game. That that was one of the best bits <laughs> of TV outside of actually the game itself. I mean, it just, it was, you said before you were laughing. I mean, that, I mean, even my missus doesn't watch the game that much. I'm not seeing her laugh that much in years. It was hilarious, his reaction. Yeah, and as much as we've just stated, Carragher, that video of um, him filming uh, Gary Neville's reactions, <laughs> <laughs> like, that that was comedy, fair play to him in that. But uh, you know, he he makes a rod for his own back. He's an absolute target for criticism. You know, even to the point of you know trying to get back out as last week by you know the, the match of the day fiasco and then saying, oh, we've got a score, Bournemouth one, Liverpool nil. I thought, well, you haven't even played yet, fella. And then yeah. you went and drew at home to bottom of the table, Southampton. So. You know, what's the worst result there? Going to Bournemouth away from home and an early kickoff, which no team really likes. No one likes an early kickoff and losing 1 0. Or drawing a home to bottom of the league, Southampton. You know, it's a. You know, one of us us played a team that's still fighting for survival, and one of us is playing a team that knows it's going down. Yeah. Like, you know, you're you're not gaining any brownie points there. You're not winning anything by. By doing that, um, but yeah, I think you know he he sticks himself out there, you know, with his little stupid wine picture of when you know Liverpool happens to lose a game or whatever, or jumping on social media. But there was no better better video really that come out of that game other than you know seeing all the goals over and over again was was Gary Neville slumped. He couldn't even put the <laughs> microphones in his mouth. He was that distraught, right? And then going back to the studio and, and being laughed at by, by Sunes um, and, and put in his place. I mean, even Kino knew. Ke- like, exactly. He was looking at him for support and he's like, you dug this, you dug your own yeah, grave here. Like. Yeah, listen, listen to me, you've you've got yourself into this mess and, you know, I'm just going to sit here and admire Graham Sunes in his suit and his uh, nice white new teeth. But <laughs> he was just laughing because Neville wouldn't let it go. And But I love the know, way Sui, like, this was obviously set off uh, and Neville's a bit of a, like, Coward, probably thinking, I'll say this when we're not on air, and then you know, be fine. Don't have to say this in public. And Sui just called him out. What do you? What were you saying when we weren't on air? You know, <laughs> well, 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 uh, well. I said no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Well, even even the beginning of the game, like that, that was there for a massive egg on the face for Sunes in terms of he was so confident of a Liverpool win, and even I've got to be honest, going to the ground and um, driving up, and then like. You know, it was getting shared around. Like, soon as I said this, like, so confident for the win. And you were like, what are you saying? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. don't know, Graham. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll just, you know, we'll just, I think we said we'd take a draw. Um, you know, we, we, we've certainly got the capabilities of beating United. We've proved it in the past. But as we are this season, we'll just take a draw here, Graham. And we'll just all be happy. But he was, he was happy to put his teeth on the line. And, you know, he, he, <laughs> He, he certainly backed it up, and then I just think you know the way even even Carragher laughed at him. To be fair, they all laughed at him, yeah. they all mocked him. But when he got back in the studio, he, he probably bounded in with his chest out like he was twenty five and donning that red shirt again, and <laughs> he he put his marker down in the sand and basically said, "Right, I've just put my, put myself out there and I backed it up." 
and what are you going to do about it? Yeah, and Roy Keane's thinking, I'm not, I'm not messing with him. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, Roy Keane would have had, I mean, whoever he supported growing up, whatever that, it doesn't matter. He would have, Graeme Soonis, I'm sure, would have been one of his idols as a player, you know, someone he would have looked at to try and emulate in some way, you know, to get the, the same kind of attitude, maybe. I mean, I, I was never a, a fan of Roy Keane when he was playing, but, you know, I can take him or leave him now. Um, I think he's, and I think the thing about Roy Keane is he's generally, quite honest about stuff whereas I don't know what it is with Gary Neville and I think I think the best thing about that in a lot of ways was it just underlined his obsession um you know we, we sort of we, you sort of alluded to it earlier on with the Blues how you know I mean they did the DVD when they beat us 3-0 that time you know beating us is their is their season that is their cup final if they beat us that that's like they're done for the year then. They're made up. That's all they wanted. Um, I still think if Everton got relegated but beat us, there'd be plenty of them thinking that was, a, that was what they wanted. Um, because that's their obsession. And as much as we love that game, we're not going to bring a DVD out about it. We can have a laugh about it now, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean that much. You know, it's still like a high point in a shit season, but you know, with Neville, it's just that obsession that he's got. And that's the thing that when they were winning things, they still had that obsession with us that, you know, it was embarrassing. It really was. And I'm surprised they can't see it now, how embarrassing it was then. And maybe that they don't want to repeat it because they were so obsessed with us. And they were, I mean, they were winning things. Don't get me wrong, but they were more like they wanted to win things so they could laugh at us. And, you know, I don't think that one way of winning things. I'm not thinking, ha ha, the Manx out there watching. I'm not thinking that. I don't know about you. No, 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 no way. There's always, I think, just the era. Obviously, I've grown up in it. United were always winning stuff, um, and I think we've we've, we've touched it loads, haven't we? Like Everton, it it's sort of because it's in, within your family. You, you sort of have a little bit of sympathy towards them, but you do not like Manchester United. So, no. yeah, you grow up with that sort of hatred, possibly for them. Um, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to give them anything. Like you literally you would not want to give them, you know, the scraps out the bottom of your wheelie bin because we don't we don't think they're worthy. Um but by no means does that mean, you know, we're that focused on them that whatever goes on in our season is is by the by. Um much like Everton's, you know, like that their their fascination and, and sort of energy that they spend on us. Yeah, if they if they spent it on their own club, they probably wouldn't be in a mess that they're in right now. Um, you know, like I I was I was on holiday last weekend, um, and for me sins, I, I traipsed around Marrakesh to try and find the bar that was showing the Liverpool game. I, I spent twenty five minutes and eventually found one, um, and it wasn't worth it. But within about ten minutes of leaving. Where where I was and I'm, I'm walking back to to my hotel. I had about five messages off Everton fans like ah look and you know like you just got beat by Bournemouth. Like, you know like you think Bournemouth winning they're going to send us down. Watch what we go and do today. We'll go and beat Brentford, which you know they did by all means. But like they were looking at it the fact that we threw the game against Brentford <laughs> uh, against Bournemouth. Sorry. Because we want them to go down, so we allow Bournemouth to win to go above them, therefore hampering our own top four chances. And you think, how, do, how does your mindset work? <laughs> Is that genuinely what you think? 
we that's, did. Like, that's what though. That, I honestly, I honestly do. I think that is that with them. I mean, um, last game of the season, we could go the say we could qualify for the Champions League as long as the team that's that's currently in fourth loses that just happens to be playing Everton. You could see them being made up that they lose and go down because we then miss out on the Champions League because of them. They stopped us qualifying. You know, whether they've been made up about it might be overkill, but you can guarantee there'd be a couple of T-shirts made, you know, that they stopped <laughs> us getting in the Champions League. A couple of crap banners. Um, yeah, yeah. They, they, their last game of the season, this season, I think it might be Bournemouth. Um, the one, one, one small minute here while we just uh, have a look at the, the fixture list for Everton. Um, I hate doing that because so everything I, goes blue on your screen. But yeah, yeah, but I, I'm I'm 90 percent certain because at, yeah, at the start of the start of the season, um, I had a look at their fixtures and it was like basically they've got Man City at home the 13th of May, then they go to <laughs> Wolves and they got Bournemouth at home. I am. Pretty certain some of them would, would have said at the start of the season, right, well, we've got Man City at home, two games to go after that. We'll throw that if that means Liverpool don't win the league. Yeah. And you could bet your bottom dollar a lot of them would say that because, you know, obviously we went into the season with a lot of hope and optimism and we thought, well, you know, we've challenged them for this long and, you know, what would what we give for another season and another title challenge right now? But they would happily throw that game away if they were 17 18 from the table and they need the points more than anything however Man City winning would have put Man City or kept Man City above us they'd go yeah shake hands we'll have to we'll have to defeat give a call it 3-0 don't batter us on goal difference yeah. let Man City have the three points and everyone will be happy and, and, that, and that, that's the mentality I can never understand with Everton fans because they, they're, they're so obsessed with making sure that we don't succeed at the expense of their own success, it's it's, it's bizarre. Yeah, and the so they're more focused on things they can't really have any any say in because they can wish for us to lose, they can wish for us to lose, but they can't they can't kind of go down. They're not going to go the game and cheer for the opposition. They're just going to wish for us to lose from a distance. Yeah, you know, you get behind your own team, you know, and don't get me wrong, I've laughed when when. The Manks have had a bad day. You know, when you hear stories of them getting beaten, I mean, if that had been some other team beating them 7-0, I'd have been laughing about it. But, you know, if it had happened on a day we'd lost 1-0, I'd have probably been laughing quietly. Because, you know, I'd be more worried about us. And, you know, it's Liverpool I support. Everyone else is just making up the numbers for me. They're the people we've got to beat. They're the people we're up against. But it's Liverpool that matters to me. I just don't, un- I, I'm the same. I just don't understand that mentality. Um, and looking at them, they have got a hell of a run in. I mean, they've got oh. Ch- Chelsea and Tottenham and the Manx. They've got, they've got they've still got Newcastle. Um, and then last four games, Brighton, City, Wolves and Bournemouth. You know, they could already be gone by Bournemouth. So maybe, you know, maybe they won't be that bothered about the Bournemouth game by then because it might already be too late. I mean, the dog, will the dog be out by then? Will he be gone? I think they'll have to go and get, you know, the red drum statue from Aintree, given that we're in Cheltenham, we can... Uh, the time of horses is, is, is what's been taken my attention for this week. But I think they'll have to go and get their drum house the, uh, from the entry parade ring and, you know, walk down the street with that on a plinth or something. Because I don't think of a, a German shepherd being carried through like it's some sort of Egyptian god. 
is going to save them this season. Or, you know, at the moment they're out of the, the relegation spots, but their run of fixtures is horrendous. Um, you know, when I often say, like, I have a chat with me mate in work who is a is a level headed blue, and he said, like, you know, you're sort of putting rings in the calendar around dates of games where you think, like, well, that's one where we've got to pick up three points. Last week was that against Brentford. Then, to be fair, Brentford have been on, I think, a 12-game unbeaten run and they managed to, to turn them over. But, you know, you mentioned there the next three, Chelsea away, Spurs at home, United away. You know, if you're being realistic with yourself, I think if you get more than a point out of that, yeah. you're doing well. And at that point, you know, the way the league is between 12th, to the bottom of the table and on the on St. Patrick's Day when Patrick Vieira has been sacked mm. um, you know there's a five point spread so it's it's crazy like you know you, you only need to lose two games and the, another team picks up a win and a draw across them and you know you can jump five or six places it's it's compelling stuff but I do I do fear for them I, I, I genuinely do I think there's not many games left for them where they would circle the calendar and say that's where we can get three points because the, the, there's just not a lot there for them. And, you know, our fixtures are by no means any more generous, I suppose, if we bring it back to us. Our next three games are City away, Chelsea away, which is the, the game in hand, I think, and then Arsenal at home. So yeah. it could be a bleak time for football on Merseyside come April. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the way our season is going, and I hope I'm wrong, and I hope it ends up with like a last day. Alison Becker header gets us in the Champions League or something, but you know, I think that's a fantasy too far this season for us. I genuinely do. And I think um the excitement on Merseyside is gonna be for the Blues, but not the excitement that they want. But it does look like two years running. They're gonna be getting really, really excited about not getting relegated. And it does seem tight and you know, maybe one big plaque. I'm not sure if it will be a fact, but it feels like it could be. One big plaque they can get on the new ground is that it's the biggest ground in the championship, because it might well be, um, the way things are going, if it's open by then. Um, will just... it be bigger than Sunderland? Potentially, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how All big right. it is, actually. You know, we've got the capacity is. I don't know. If you were building a new Anfield, you'd have been going for like a 70,000 capacity, wouldn't you? I don't think. Yeah. As an I Everton, mean, it, it, it's going to be impressive by no means because it's yeah. a modern ground, but yeah, I, I, I'd i feel very, in in a, in a reference to the ticket prices, I'd be very, very short change if my my first game as an Everton fan in that ground was at home to Preston or Rotherham. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and it won't be cheap. I think Everton have, have, have set the standard that their ticket prices have also gone up this season and that's with a nod to the new stadium, so it's not such a hike. Um, I think, you know, the lads I've spoken to have said, like, their ticket prices are going up because, obviously, when they eventually do move into this new ground, the ticket prices obviously will be expensive to pay for the ground. Um, and, yeah, I can't see the... I can't see the club going too light, even if they went down in terms of ticket prices, which is, you know, it's not good if you are an Everton fan. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean... Asking your fans to pay more for tickets is one thing. Asking them to pay more when you're giving them less or a lesser product is another. And, you know, I hate using the word product, but that's how it's seen, isn't it? Football's a product. It's not It's not a sport sometimes. But if they go down, will they still have the fans with them? Will they fill the ground out? Will it look a bit like, um, as we just mentioned, the stadium alight? I mean, that 
when they went down Sunderland, that stadium looked empty whenever it was on the TV, really, really struggling to get people in. And no wonder, I mean, it wasn't exactly a place where people were flush with money and you're asking them to pay out for something that is a luxury and you're definitely not giving them a luxury product. Well, it's going to, you know, these things aren't going to work out for you, are they? What would we be like if Liverpool went down? I don't know. Would we still fill Anfield? I think we would, but I hope we don't get to have to find out. You know, in my lifetime, We've never come anywhere near close to that. Um, you know, we've always been a top flight club, even in my lifetime. So we've, I would say maybe the Roy Hodgson era was the time I was most worried about our survival, but that wasn't always down to what we were doing on the pitch anyway. It's what was doing in the boardroom. But the, um, the ticket price thing though, that's going to be interesting to see how it works out. But just as a quick bit of balance before we go, I've just found my ticket from the cops last stand, the last day of the standing cop. And it wasn't £2.70 by then. It was eight quid. Um, the fact they had a ticket's unusual. You didn't tend to have tickets for the cop. You tended to just pay on the day. But last day, everyone wanted to be there. Luckily, I was. And it was eight quid. And it's shot up since, hasn't it? Even if it is um, no longer a terrace, even if it is supposedly a better place to be um, for lots of different reasons, it's still shot up way too much. And that's something that we need to look at. Um, we will be back soon. Liverpool haven't got a game for ages, so we're hoping... We can get a podcast in before the next game. The next game is against Man City and it is on April Fool's Day. But by the time we play them, April Fool's will have been and gone, as Jay just mentioned to me um, beforehand. April Fool's only runs till noon. So by half 12, all that should be out of the way. And let's hope that Liverpool aren't the fields by the end of it. But for now, as always, thanks for listening. I'm Jim Boardman. You've been listening to me with Jay Reed. This has been Scouser Tommy's and we will be back soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.